Please join me now in Romans chapter 12. And we're wrapping up our strategy sessions together as a church this morning as we talk about the element of engage today. When I was in high school, I was a part of our high school marching band. There were over 150 of us and our band was no ordinary marching band. We were quite good actually. And uh, we were actually national champions two years while I was in high school. In fact, even a year after I graduated, they did it again. We would go up and down the East Coast on weekends during that season from Connecticut down to Miami in competitions and we won a lot. And then the senior year when we won the national championship, it was in Indianapolis, Indiana, in the stadium where the Colts play. It was a big deal. In fact, you're probably thinking that can't be real. Uh, is there such a thing? In my office, I have the jacket I have with national champions. I won't tell you what year it was. It was a long time ago, but it's in my office. I showed it to the eight o'clock service. It felt a little cheesy doing it in here. But anyway, why do I mention that? It's not a middle-aged man talking about the glory years. But just to make this point, a lot of hours went into rehearsing for that band and the music and then hitting your marks in a show like that. A lot of boosters contributed a lot of money to purchase the, the experts to put together that show and to move us all around the East Coast like that. A lot of effort. But, but imagine this with me. What if we rehearsed that much, worked on that level of precision, put on the uniforms from time to time, but never left the school, never performed for anybody else, never competed anywhere else. What would you think about that? Be a colossal waste of energy, a lot of wasted time, a lot of wasted money, and we would have missed out on an awful lot. Consider with me, that's how many Christians live their lives. That's how many churches function. A lot of hours spent, a lot of gathering, a lot of equipping and sharpening the knowledge base but then there's no output. Why did we do all of that? What is all that for? And so I'm calling us back to our logo for a moment as we consider these strategy sessions. Why are we here as a church? And let's just consider together, we were made for action. God designed us for that. And so remember prominently in our logo, there is that vine that represents Christ. A few weeks ago, we were in John 15, where we get that from, that Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, and I abide in you, listen, you will bear much fruit. So there's fruitfulness going to come from the disciple and from the church that abides in Christ. We also have those blocks ascending in our logo. And we've looked at those through these weeks. And at the top of those blocks, there is that one, that gold one. And by that, we're thinking of engage. And when we talk about engaging, we're talking about engaging in ministry and missions as a church. That's what we have in mind there. So I could have picked a number of passages to go to, but I was drawn to Romans chapter 12, just to show us one of the many places in the Bible that shows us God is expecting of us that we would actually serve him, not just learn about him. So Romans 12 verse one, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. 
In a few moments, we'll continue reading and we'll go through verse 11. But let's hold here. In this passage that we're looking at together this morning, it says so much about who we are and how we're designed by God for action. But first of all, I want you to see this. We're, we're told here that we are to engage in ministry, but we're to do so humbly. We're to engage in ministry humbly, and that's what we see in these first three verses. We're to understand that our bodies are to be given to God as an offering. We're told here in our, here in our text that we're to present our very bodies as living sacrifices to God. That's just another way of saying we are to be wholly surrendered and offered over to God. We're not to give ourselves to the world, conform to the world, but we are to offer ourselves to the Lord as a living offering. Here with me, the Christian life, there's nothing partial about it. God's not making any partial claim on you and me. He says you're to present yourself, your very body, as a living sacrifice. So think about with me the old covenant sacrifices. When they were offering literal animals, that animal was devoted entirely as a sacrifice of death to God, the shedding of that blood. Here we are in the new covenant through Christ. He already shed his blood for us. What's God want from us? Just that we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. So our heart in our service to the Lord is this, Lord, I present myself to you for worship. How about this? Lord, I present all of myself to you in worship. I present all of me to you for your service, for your glory. Then we're told why the ESV says this is your spiritual worship to do that. The New American Standard says, which is your spiritual service of worship. New King James says, this is your reasonable service. This is reasonable. This is what you do in the new covenant. So let me ask you, have you placed yourself on the altar of worship and service to the Lord? This offering is not just giving some of your money. It's all of you to the Lord. Where we're expressing to God, all right, I understand this. I'm going to be a living sacrifice to you here in this new covenant. So God, I give you my time. I give you my abilities that you gave to me first. I give you these talents. Use them all for your glory. Or how about this? Can you say this, Lord? I am a, I'm a living sacrifice, wholly given over to you. So God, if you direct me, I'll go anywhere you tell me to go. And when I get there, I'll do whatever you tell me to do there because I don't belong to me anymore. I've already given myself over to you. In fact, that's just another way of saying that Jesus is your Lord. Is that true of you? Is Jesus your Lord? For some of you, you might need to ask this question. Is Jesus still my Lord? You might look back in a time in your life. Yeah, I used to be wholly devoted like that, but I've kind of renegotiated that commitment with Christ in recent years. And I'm just kind of sort of devoted to him. But we're to be living sacrifices, laying down your body to him for his worship, for his service. This indeed is reasonable. Nothing else would be reasonable to offer to God who gave you life and gave you salvation. So understand your body is to be given to God as an offering. Also this, understand where your body fits into the body of Christ. That's verses four and five. Look at these. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Did you hear that? We're just talking about serving from a place of humility and understanding that you're part of the body of Christ. Meaning, you don't belong to you. 
You belong to Jesus. And then this, verse 5, also says that we're members of one another. So when you think about, oh, I belong to that church, what are you saying? You're saying, well, I belong to Jesus, and I even belong to these brothers and sisters in Christ. We belong to one another. So a Christian has the mindset that they're not independent of others. They're interdependent with others. That's what the word of God calls us to. And here again, this call to humility, verse 3 again. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, here it is, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we're to see our bodies as living sacrifices, and we're to see that we are part of the body of Christ, the church. So a humility that we're supposed to have. We're going to talk about all this engaging, all this serving near and far, that's coming. But first notice the posture. Oh, completely humbled. And that should be easy for us as Christians. Because if you are indeed a Christian, that's how you became one. You came in very humbly if you became a Christian. Nobody's ever become a Christian arrogantly. Because what's the first move as a Christian? You became a believer when you realized, I cannot save myself. I'm not worthy of a relationship with a completely holy God. I have no place in his heaven, his home, with all this sin. I deserve hell rather than heaven. You had to have had that understanding to have ever become a Christian. So you begin humble. And remember, it was a work of God that that happened. Because you used to think, I'm fine. I'm fine. If anybody's going to go to heaven, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm pretty good. That's how we all started. Until the Holy Spirit made us aware at last, oh, I'm not fine. I'm undone. Look at all this sin. You finally became concerned. That was a gift of God when he exposed to you what he already knew. You're, you're a mess. You can't save yourself. You're unrighteous and you need his righteousness. And remember, Jesus came to make you clean. Jesus poured out his blood for you on a cross to atone for your sins. Jesus was raised from the dead. And then that wonderful promise, if you'll believe in him, you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. And so the hero in your story is not you, it's him. And so Pride is stripped away from every one of us when we become believers. We came in humbly, and don't you see with us here in the scripture, we are to remain in that posture of humility. Only one that we praise, and it's Jesus. So we're not into pride. We are in the opposite of that. Now, two areas of pride you and I should avoid as we think about serving God in and through a church. First area of pride we should avoid, this mindset. I don't really need a church. Many people have that opinion. I don't really need a church. There is arrogance in that. But here's the opposite of that. Well, I'm the most important person in the church. We want to avoid both of those. So for the person that I don't really need a church, I don't really need to be that involved in a church, that's a very arrogant statement because here's your savior and here are the apostles. They're talking about how you need to be in a church. Church was Jesus's idea. And here we're taught that you're a part of the church, you're a member of his body, and for you to say, ah, it's not really that important. That's saying, I know more, I'm wiser than what God has given us in his scripture. But what about the other extreme? You say, well, I would never say I'm the most important in church. Somebody might dare to say, but I'm in the upper echelon. <laughs> Maybe I'm not number one, but you know, my, me and my group, we're kind of in that top spot. But actually, thankfully, I don't know anybody here who actually operates that way. I'm so grateful. But in places that I've served in years past before coming here, sometimes you'd bump into people and they would give that air as if they really thought they were more important than others in the church. For some people, they do it this way because they've been in the church for a lot of years. 
Due to their longevity, they feel like, you know, because of my 20 years here, 50 years here, then I'm probably a little more important than the person who's been here two years. That would be unbiblical thinking, of course. Some people in other churches have the idea, you know, because of the amount of money I give, that gives me a little more sway than the average person who can't possibly giving what I give. Here's what's wonderful here. I have no idea what people give. Nobody ever tries that here because pastors don't know what people give. We only have one person that clicks that information in the office secretly to give you back your tax statement at the end of the year. The rest of us have no idea. So it would be futile for anybody to try to flex their giving muscles for a little something extra here in the church. For others, they might be proud and think they're more important because of their family connections. Do you know who my great-grandfather was here? No, I don't know who he was. But I might have heard some stories. Wonderful. Your great-grandfather might have been wonderful, but that has no bearing on who has more say here? Or do you know how many of us are here that are all interrelated? Second cousins and third cousins and first cousins? Or how about this one? Some people can even be proud about the church they used to go to. Hey, I used to go to that church, that mega church and that other place. And that gives me a little knowledge that you probably don't have here. And so therefore people can get weird. Pride is insidious there, but we don't go for pride. We came into this through humility, trusting in our Savior, and we run in the opposite direction from pride. Listen to this, Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Listen, regard one another as more important than yourselves. It's the opposite of pride. So when we interact, how should I treat you? I should be inclined to treat you as, as if you're more important than I am. That's how we're to operate here. And again, thankfully here, I don't see this type of pride operating. I'm sure all of us are fighting pride. It's a temptation that sneaks in. We all have to battle against it. But here, I can just say this. Our longest time members here, those who've been members 20, 30, 50 years here, they have been so welcoming to all the new waves of people who have come through the years. In fact, we could never have grown had there not been members who've been here a long time with open arms saying, oh, this is exciting to reach more people. Or how about this? We have many former missionaries in the church. We have a number of retired pastors who calls Staples Mill home. And I love how they operate with complete humility in the body, just as we would expect them to do as people who are mature in Christ. They're not bragging, they're serving here. Also our current pastors and deacons here, not lording it over anybody, but serving from a position of love, not superiority. And those who have deep family connections here, never flexing that, never acting like a power block. We are one in Christ. We're just talking about how we serve from a posture of humility. Here we're told we're a part of this body, and that means this, that every member is needed. Verse 4, all the members do not have the same function. Every part is needed. Think about your own physical body right now, and a great illustration of what he's getting at here is that every part of your body is needed. And I'll illustrate this way. Even though you and I know, and some parts are more important to me than other parts, my eyes and hearing, this is more important to me. But still, if I had a surgeon in the wings over here, already scrubbed, Got his stuff on, masks on. And we're going to do elective surgery this morning. Anybody who wants, everybody who wants. We'll set up a little gurney over here and he'll remove anything that you don't feel like you need on your body. And uh, we'd have no takers. Because even though maybe I value my eyes more than my pinkies and my little toe, he better stay away with me, from me with that scalpel. Every part's important. Don't go removing anything from me. And likewise, we should have that mindset toward one another. I'm not more important than other people. We all need one another. We're going to serve one another here. But how about this one? Also this teaching that we're individually members of one another, not part of an organization. We belong to Jesus. We belong to each other. And I'll also illustrate that with your own physical body. 
when something happens to one part of your body, you, you, your whole body feels it. So for instance, you had a bad paper cut on one of your hands, just a paper cut, but you don't ever look at your hand with a paper cut and go, that's tough being you. I don't care about you. The rest of the body's not indifferent. Like, we don't care. Your whole body gets involved in treating and worrying, caring until you get past that together. Likewise, we have that mindset. We belong to one another and we're going to care for one another. Certainly no pride here. So we want to cultivate that. So we just talk about how we engage in ministry. We spent some time here talking about, oh, but we do so humbly. Secondly, we engage in ministry faithfully. We do it humbly, but we also do it faithfully. Look at verse six. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, here it is, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if serving in our, in our, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So God has placed each person in the body for his service. God's given us spiritual gifts that we would actually use those spiritual gifts. Very clear in our text here. So think about the spiritual gift you were given. It was not given primarily for you. So God's gifted each individual Christian with at least a spiritual gift. But this is unlike birthday presents that you've received in the past. When you receive birthday presents when you were growing up and even to this day, the point of the gift you receive on those occasions is for your personal enjoyment. Your parents might have even told you, you don't have to share it the day you get it. That's yours. And so if another kid comes reaching for your present, they say, no, 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 maybe you share later, but this is your moment. This gift's for you. But God has given spiritual gifts to the members of churches, not for their own edification only, but primarily for the benefit and the building up of the body of Christ. And God's wired us where we're going to get our most satisfaction, our greatest joy from that gift as we share it with others. So here we have the idea, if you've been given a gift, use it. And he gives these examples of a partial list of some of the spiritual gifts. He mentions prophecy here. He mentions service here. That word diakonia, we get our word deacon from it. And so not just our deacon serving, but all of us serving in the church. Some gifted particularly in service ways. Then there's teaching. And we're so blessed to have so many teaching using those gifts with our children. Such an army of people working with children. Even right now down the halls, pouring into children. Those working with students. What a critical age to be poured into taught. We're so grateful for those who serve with our students. And then many also serving among our adults. If you're a teacher, then teach. And then exhortation. This is to call someone to be encouraged or consoled. And we don't have a specific role for this. This is just all of us know. It's part of my role in the church. I should be an encourager. And we have many in the church who are wonderful at showing encouragement. Then he mentions giving. And of course, we're all to be giving into the church. But some are especially gifted in this way. And all of us are to be giving generously as God has prospered us, as he's leading us. Then he comes to this gift of leading. He says, those who are leading, they should do so with zeal. The New American Standard Bible says you should lead with diligence. So if you have the gift, do it. And he tells you how to do it. And then mercy. Mercy is to show kindness or concern for someone in serious need. That we're to do acts of mercy. And those who do acts of mercy, he says you should do it cheerfully. When I think about the gift of mercy, I think about my mother-in-law. So Edna Mae Garrigan, so the sweetest woman I've ever known, and Joy knows, she comes close second to her mother. And uh, Joy's mom, amazing. So I don't have any of those great mother-in-law stories that other people have, those monster-in-law stories. I don't have those. I had the sweetest woman because of Jesus in her life. And she really had 
the gift of mercy, I would say on steroids. God just loaded her up. And so it showed itself in a lot of ways. One of the funniest was that Mrs. Garrigan, she lived in Manassas Park, Virginia, and she just came up with this on her own. She would leave her car unlocked on the street there in Manassas Park. And when the family would say, Mom, you left your car unlocked, they, she'd say, oh, yeah, I did it on purpose in, in case a homeless person were to be walking by and needed a place to sleep at night. I'm leaving the car unlocked. Now, she didn't advertise that. I don't know how a homeless person would just know to come down her street. But in her mind, I just need to do that because what if that ever happens? I wanted a homeless person to come. She's just wired with mercy because of what Jesus had done in her life. Another expression of her mercy and her love was she would just teach, she would teach in the children's ministry. Decades after decades, she would just serve down there. Joy was about the three-year-olds, I think. She just devoted herself to these young ones. And uh, it was just an expression of her love and mercy for others. Another thing she did was that she would go to what she called the old folks' home. Even when she got a little bit older than some of the people in the old folks' home, she would go visit them with her church family. She'd bake cakes and take it there, just driven by mercy. This also drove her into pro-life causes. When she'd think about unborn babies being brutally treated in the womb, just unimaginable to her mind, rightfully so, because of Jesus' transformation of her, this just can't happen. And so she lived near Washington. If there were marches in Washington, this little lady would go up and be a part of just representing the sanctity of human life. And then it made her a prayer warrior as well, just, just to pray for others. She spent a lot of time in prayer. So we're all to function. When we look at this partial list of list of gifts, we're all to be doing this. God's given you something. And notice the point is go use it. If you have this gift, go use it. It's not just to possess and say, I have a gift, use it. But then notice the descriptor words here. He uses words like zealous. He uses words like cheerful. We see words like fervent and loving. Does that describe how you serve in the life of the church? It's possible to occupy one of the roles and you just kind of do it, and it's more like, I, I just signed on this because somebody asked, and I had a hard time saying no. But here, what we're called to is, I'm, I'm a living sacrifice, and I've been given a gift, and I'm supposed to use it, and I'm supposed to use it cheerfully, zealously, diligently. That's what we're called to. Let's continue in our text, verses 9 through 11. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love this next part. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Well, those are verses worth meditating on. Don't hurry past those. Look at that. Look at that. Do not be slothful in zeal. One translation says, just don't be lazy. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So do you love God like that to where your love for God drives you to want to serve him? Do you love other people, other believers like that, that you're driven from that love to serve them? Don't you love that command? Outdo one another in showing honor. So we're talking about spiritual gifts here. And you might wonder, what is my spiritual gift? And how can a person even know what their spiritual gift is? And some have done surveys and uh, little documents you can kind of take, little tests, inventories. But I think the best way to find out what your spiritual gift is, is when you become aware of a need in the life of the church and you step toward that need. And you can step toward it, maybe using a connection card. Hey, I want to explore that opportunity. You don't know for sure if you're gifted to do it or not. But you say, I'm going to try. What you might discover on some occasions is not at all gifted to do that. You might feel like that was a mistake. It wasn't a mistake to try that. Uh, how are you going to know what you're going to do until you see a need and you step toward it? 
Now, don't be discouraged if you try something in the life of the church and it doesn't go well the first time. Most of us preachers didn't go great the first time. Most people who taught a life group didn't go great the first time. So you may have a gift, but you're going to equip yourself to get even better at using that gift. But, but try and see how the body of Christ reacts to how you serve. Here's a question. If everybody in the church served like you serve in the church, how healthy, how strong would the church be? Oh, we have been given gifts. Let's use them to the glory of God. And I'm so thankful for an army of people serving throughout the church who understand we're to be engaging, not just taking in, but we're also giving out. These who do serve with children, with students, with adults, those who help with music and AV, these deacons who serve so well. We even have this beautiful at-home ministry. We used to call our homebound ministry. And they come alongside those who can't leave home anymore or trying to be careful with their health. And so sometimes I'll call one of our older church members and they'll say, well, our at-home team was just here. And I get to hear just great reports and how, how much that's appreciated. Just a lot of serving in so many ways. Support roles also, finance and personnel and board. So we're talking about engaging, yes, so much of that within the body. But let me just remind us before we go, also this serving happens outside of these walls. So yes, we're to serve humbly. We're to serve faithfully, even zealously. But then this, we are to engage in ministry evangelistically. We're to do it evangelistically. This brings us to the topic of evangelism and mission. So I want you to turn back just a couple of pages in your Bible. Stay in the book of Romans, but just back to chapter 10. And here's a reminder, all this serving we do in the body also has us with an eye outside of the body, those who don't yet know Jesus. Romans 10, 13 through 15, hear this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in, whom, uh, in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So we are to serve together in evangelism and missions. Even in here, we're to make disciples who understand as a part of that disciple making that they are to be like Jesus said, salt and light in the world. We are attempting to raise up from within here and sending out great commission disciples. Remember, Jesus said these words before he ascended to heaven. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We have a commission. As a church, we rally to that together. There is a world in need of Jesus and we must leave this place equipped, encouraged, having had real encounters with God to go engage the world around us. That's what we're here for. And we do that in several different directions. First of all, we do it locally. Yes, we're excited about reaching the nations where they have no access to the gospel, but we don't want to overshoot Glen Allen and Richmond going to the nations. We must do it locally. So last week we were at Glen Allen Day. And we have our table there as usual. We have the canopy over us. We have our banner there representing the church. And our method is to have some, some candy on the table and we have our wristbands there. And that's all we need to do. Uh, these kids come through Glen Allen Day if you've never been with their parents. And the kids like to run up to the tables and there's like giveaways at everybody's table. And we found those little dum-dum suckers 
And our, our Staples Mill wristbands is all we need to do because they'll come by, the kids will want candy, and they want the wristbands. They'll put, they'll put them right on. And just a sampling of some of the conversations that really impacted me this past week was this. There was a preteen boy who came up to our table and said, can I have one of the wristbands? And this is one of like dozens and dozens of conversations during the day. But we said, yeah, sure, here's a wristband. And I asked him, I said, have you ever heard the good news? Because these little prompts on here about the good news. He said, no. That didn't surprise me because that's a bit of our jargon. He may not know what I was talking about. So when I walked him through the symbols on the wristband, just sharing the gospel, has, I said, have you ever heard that before? He said, no. Here's a kid right here in Glen Allen, lived his whole life here, maybe 12 years old, 13 maybe, never heard the gospel. Well, it's a little bit later in the, in the day, another preteen boy came up with his friends and, and one of our people asked, do you go to church anywhere? And the kid said this, I wish I went to church. And so we think about that. What, what about that? What's that all about? So many families don't go to church, not important to families. And so there are kids out here in our community that wish they had a family that went to church. Then there was another conversation. There were four teenage girls came to our table, wanted the wristbands. And so I asked you, can I share with you what the meaning is of these symbols on the wristband? And, and so these four teenage girls, two of the girls had on a Muslim head covering. And so I knew I'd be sharing with girls raised Muslim. And so I walked through the gospel message, just a brief version of it using the wristband. And one of the Muslim girls said this, she said, that was beautiful. So here's what I share those, say this, let's not be intimidated in our culture. You say, it's an angry culture. I don't think they want to hear this. There are angry atheists. There are some angry atheists and it is an angry, brutal culture out there. But just in one afternoon at Glen Allen Day, overwhelmingly there were people willing to hear the good news. And I'm thinking about, well, these, they heard a bit of the gospel. It wasn't conducive for like hold them there and walk through with an open Bible, everything. But there are people out there just like these I've highlighted who need to hear more about Jesus. Let's be bold. We're, we're designed for that to share the gospel. I thank God for those of you who serve in English clubs, helping with immigrants, introducing them to Jesus and helping with their English needs and others of you just wearing the wristbands and other ways sharing the gospel. We are thinking outside these walls. We also are involved in church planting. And so did you know that we support six church planting efforts together as a church? There's Gracia, Sobre Gracia that meets downstairs in the afternoon. We're all gone and a Spanish speaking church comes in here and uh, they get to reach people with their language. Covenant Life Church in, in Lakeside, The Way Church there in Short Pump, River City Church in the town. Coming soon is Emerge Church, Los Angeles, and then Providence Community Church. So I talk to Dale Johnson every week as we're his sending church out in Los Angeles. If you don't know Dale, Dale served for years in Tokyo at Tokyo Baptist Church, felt God's call to plant a church in Los Angeles. That's a bold move. And so we're his sending church. And so he and I talk once a week. So right now he's trying to establish a job for himself while waiting for the church to, to one day be planted. And so pray for him as he tries to solidify employment. But the other thing he's doing is he just tries to go to the community. He feels called to plant a church in Sherman Oaks, right there on a suburb or a part of Los Angeles area. So he goes. And so this past week, he went to Starbucks. That's a good place to start. Got his coffee and just started walking. He walked around a place called Joe's Pizza. And there outside of Joe's Pizza were Gary and Frank. And he just asked a question. He just, we're talking about engaging outside of the walls. He just asked Gary and Frank, is this pizza any good? He said, oh, it's the best. So he tucked that away. If you go to Los Angeles, we're going to have to go to Joe's. Joe's Pizza. He said, oh, it's the best. Well, that led to a 45-minute conversation. And Gary and Frank saying, you know, we would, we would like to study the Bible with you. Because they heard about the church that one day will be planted there. Wouldn't that be cool if Gary and Frank, we look back at it. They were the first two members 
that, that they were engaged outside of Joe's Pizza and heard about Jesus and got to study the Bible with Dale. Of course, we have Adam and Lacey also uh, feeling God's call to plant in the Bonaire area. And I want you to think with me, what a courageous move that is to leave a church like this. They love this church. And what a gutsy move, what a bold step of faith. They go, we're, we feel God's leadership to go plant another healthy church not too far away. And that's also honorable. That's engaging outside of these walls. And then if, real quickly, don't we also think about the nations? We think about the nations, people who don't have access to the gospel. They may not know another believer. There's not a healthy church anywhere near them. And so we think about that. And from our church right now, we have four families or singles serving around the world. We have some serving in Central Asia, two different ones serving in the Middle East, and then also another family serving in South America. We have two single adults that are also equipping themselves these days for possible mission service over, over time overseas. This past summer, we had a team of 21 uh, go to the Dominican. And we're preparing in the coming year to send two, two teams out to the nations. Maybe you'll be a part of one of these teams. We'll have a team going in August to Poland. And then we'll have a team in January 2024 going to Peru to serve alongside the cells. But we're just making the point, we were designed for action. When we look at our logo, that gold block, that's just a reminder. Yeah, I don't want to just be worshiping here. I don't just want to be having Christian friends. I don't want to just gain knowledge. Do I have to do all that too? That's by design. But, but am I serving? Am I serving here? Am I serving outside of here? May God help us as we encounter, encourage, equip, and also engage.